Hi everyone, it's Joe Wigand from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park and home to the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. With their help, we're starting Teddy Talks. The April program is called 26 Days with the 26th President. Each and every day, I'll be reading at length from some of what uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote and spoke during his lifetime. Uh, as we go through, uh, I hope that you'll understand why Theodore Roosevelt at the State Fair in Minnesota on Labor Day 1901 told the people there to speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. Teddy Talks are proudly presented by the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation in Medora, North Dakota. To learn more about visiting or supporting our mission to connect people to the Badlands for positive, life-changing experiences, go to Medora.com. Now, enjoy the pod. Good morning, and welcome to Teddy Talks for today, Thursday, May 28th, 2020. I'm your host, Joe Wiegand. I'm so delighted that you're joining me here, either live or later in the day. And we're coming to you from Medora, North Dakota, a tiny little community gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park in amongst the buttes of the Badlands of North Dakota. Teddy Talks is designed to go back in history and find the things that Theodore Roosevelt uh, wrote and said, and most importantly, did uh, for our country and for the world to try to find some inspiration, uh, some entertainment, some insight from uh, the great Rough Rider president. I'm here uh, in Medora because it's the gateway community to Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And for over 55 years, uh, first Harold Schaefer and the Gold Seal Corporation, and then the foundation that he and his family and others in North Dakota founded, the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation, began hosting here the Medora Musical, renovated the old Rough Riders Hotel that dated to Teddy's time that was just about falling in on itself. And then there's just been some wonderful resurgence of what my friend, the author, Rolf Sletten, uh, uh, referred to as Medora Boom, Bust, and Resurrection. Uh, one of his uh, wonderful books uh, about the region here, the other being Roosevelt's Ranches. On this uh, day, we're going to uh, hear from President Theodore Roosevelt as he toured Idaho in a barnstorm in 1903 as president, not campaigning, but certainly uh, rallying continued support amongst the grassroots for his legislative agenda, which had been uh, quite successful already, and, and his regulatory agenda as well through the Justice Department. Uh, we have uh, today uh, in order comments in Pocatello, Idaho, then Shoshone, Glens Ferry, Mountain Home, Boise, and Nampa. Such a beautiful part of the country. On this date in history, certainly Theodore Roosevelt, a student of naval history, uh, would have acknowledged that uh, today the Spanish Armada with 130 ships and 30,000 men set sail from Lisbon, Portugal, heading for the English Channel. A thought certainly it would be so massive that it would uh, likely destroy the English fleet and lead to the invasion of uh, 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 England by Spain. And of course, we know the famous story that the Armada was uh, destroyed in storms. 
uh, in and nearby the English Channel. May 28, 1754, on this date, really the beginning of the French and Indian War, in its first engagement, a young 22-year-old lieutenant uh, for the uh, British, Lieutenant Colonel George Washington, defeated a reconnaissance party in the Battle of Jumonville Glen in what is now Fayette County in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, this uh, uh, incident would lead to uh, Washington falling back, he and his men building Fort Necessity. A larger French force would come down from Fort Duquesne, later Pittsburgh, and uh, Washington's men, uh, he would be forced to surrender and, and uh, submit a statement in surrender uh, that would uh, uh, admit to the fact that uh, the commanding officer of the French at the previous uh, Battle of Jomonville Glen, the uh, French commander Jomonville, that uh, he was killed by the half-king, the Mingo warrior uh, Tanat Charison. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but fascinating history to think of what uh, George Washington was doing at the age of 22 in the service of the British crown and just uh, what a difficult and challenging time that was for a young Washington. May 28, 1764, the birth in Claremont, Columbia County, New York of Edward Livingston. His older brother, Robert Livingston, had negotiated the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, and Edward was an influential figure in the drafting of the Louisiana Civil Code of 1825, a civil code based largely on the Napoleonic Code. And you'll find that Louisiana still has a very a different uh, set of uh, a parish, even the organization of the uh, state into parishes. It's uh, a parish uh, and uh, state law is very different than the common law heritage of the other states. Um, he was a prominent New York attorney, uh, uh, served as Secretary of State from 1831 to 1833, and ambassador to France 1833 to 35 in the Andrew Jackson administration. So a New York uh, Democrat, a member of the United States House of Representatives from New York, mayor of New York, and then in that wonderful time of opportunity in this country, member of the state of uh, a member of the United States House of Representatives from Louisiana and United States Senator from Louisiana all of this prior to his being plucked by the Jackson administration for services Secretary of State and ambassador to France realizing that in that era being chosen as Secretary of State very often was an indication of preferences uh, rather than the, the vice president that the successor to the administration uh, might be the Secretary of State May 28, 1807, the birth in Switzerland, uh, uh, the Haute Volley uh, region of Switzerland, of Louis Agassiz. Uh, Agassiz was a Swiss American paleontologist and geologist, taught at Harvard from 1847 until his death in 1873, uh, just uh, two and a half years prior to a young Theodore Roosevelt going and studying science at uh, Harvard. But certainly, Harvard and its science curriculum was steeped in the work of Agassiz, who gave us the, uh, really invented the, the uh, field of glaciology. Uh, certainly Muir, a, a fan of his writings, uh, and uh, uh, the fact that so much of what we see before us here uh, is formed by the uh, retreat of the glaciers. May 28, 1830, the aforementioned United States President Andrew Jackson signs the Indian Removal Act, which denies Native Americans their land rights and forcibly re relocates them. This is the Trail of Tears, the incident beginning the Trail of Tears. 
The United States Supreme Court actually held the Indian Removal Act invalid, the actions of the administration invalid, and uh, President Jackson simply ignored uh, uh, the, uh, the Supreme Court, uh, uh, something to the effect of, where's their army? May 28, 1843, the death in New Haven, Connecticut of Noah Webster, an American lexicographer uh, born in 1758 in Hartford, Connecticut Colony. Webster graduated from Yale College in 1778. Alexander Hamilton invited him to New York City in 1793, where he became an editor for a Federalist Party newspaper, uh, but uh, he returned to Connecticut in 1798, served in the Connecticut House of Representatives. In 1806, Webster published his first dictionary, a compendious dictionary of the English language. The following year, he started working on an expanded and comprehensive dictionary, finally publishing it in 1828. He was influential in establishing the Copyright Act of 1831, the first major statu statutory revision of the U.S. copyright law. Webster died while working on a second volume of his dictionary. The rights to the dictionary were acquired by George and Charles Merriam, and perhaps you two grew up with the wonders of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. May 28, 1887, the birth near Prague, Indian Territory, later Oklahoma, of James Francis Thorpe, the American athlete, uh, Jim Thorpe. Uh, he was an Olympic gold medalist uh, in 1912 in several uh, sports, a member of the Sac and Fox Nation. His given name, Wathohuk, translated as bright path and what a bright path he ran in 1912 in the olympic games uh, he uh, uh, won the gold medal in the pentathlon and decathlon uh, played collegiate and professional football professional baseball and basketball and indeed lost his olympic titles after it was found he had been paid for playing two seasons of semi-pro baseball before competing in the olympics thus violating the amateurism rules that were uh, strongly in place then in 1983, 30 years after his death, the International Olympic Committee restored the Olympic medals. Jim Thorpe attended Carlisle Indian School, uh, uh, Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, these uh, students marched in Theodore Roosevelt's 1905 inaugural parade. I'd have to check the years that uh, Thorpe attended. He would play for the New York Giants uh, uh, football team and uh, would go on to be one of the founders of what would become our National Football League and one of the original inductees into its NFL of Hall of Fame. May 28, 1892, in San Francisco, John Muir organizes the Sierra Club. May 28, 1905, Russo-Japanese War, we mentioned the Battle of Tsushima, starting on May 27th, concluded on uh, May 28th with the uh, surrender of the uh, Russian fleet the last great sea battle in which a, uh, a fleet of ships of the line of one combatant nation surrendered uh, to the uh, uh, ships of the, uh, of the uh, uh, victorious uh, combatants. And now we've got our barnstorming through Idaho. Thank you again for your comments and questions. I've got a, a couple of days to catch up to where I, I saw that we indeed have some folks watching along and wishing a good morning. And, and that means a great deal to me. Uh, these talks will be in a form of a podcast on Spotify and YouTube, thanks to our friends at the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. But right here, live in the morning, getting a start in the day with the, uh, the sun takes a little while to climb above the buttes that are right behind us on the east side of Medora. But I can see the sunshine aplenty. 
out across a, a little field between us and the Badlands Motel, where this summer we'll watch uh, our tourists come down on a zip line off the buttes and play putt-putt at a new little bully putt-putt golf course. And Right, they are amusements and games, and I think if you've been with us, you've heard enough about what Theodore Roosevelt thinks about games and sport. Uh, when it's time to play, play hard, and we do. There's some wonderful uh, paths uh, up in the buttes right behind the place, and hope you'll join me for a hike uh, up to Schaefer Point, uh, named for our founder, Harold Schaefer. It's a beautiful day. I hope you enjoy these remarks from President Theodore Roosevelt touring Idaho, and uh, this is May 28, 1903. First, at Pocatello. It is a great pleasure to be here in this city, in this state, and to greet you this morning. I wish to acknowledge the courtesy of those who escorted me, the veterans of the Great War, my own comrades of the Spanish-American War, and the men of the National Guard, and to congratulate Idaho upon what she is doing with her National Guard. And in greeting all of you, I want to say a word in special recognition of the children. As you all know, I believe in children, and in plenty of them. Much though I congratulate Idaho upon her forests and mines in the northern part of the state, upon all her industrial development, upon her railroads, upon what she will be able to make out of irrigated agriculture, upon all her products, the product upon which I congratulate her most is the children. I am glad to see that you have them all right in point of quality and in point of quantity. I have only one word to say to them. I believe in play and I believe in work. Play hard while you play. And when you work, don't play at all. That is middling good advice for the older folks too. This is a railroad town. I have been and am now on a trip during which on every day and during every hour my safety and well-being depend absolutely upon the vigilance, skill, nerve, and fidelity of the railroad men. And I would like to say a special word to and about them this morning. The last time that I ever saw General Sherman, he told me that if there ever were a war and he were limited to choosing men of one occupation, he would take all his soldiers from among the railroad men. That is, if he were limited to one occupation, for there are good men in every occupation. He would take them all if he only had to choose, uh, all if he only had to choose from one occupation, because a railroad man has to develop four or five of the qualities most indispensable in a soldier. In the first place, capacity to face risk undaunted. Railroading is one of those professions which, like following the deep sea fisheries, necessarily implies the acceptance of risk and danger. In the next place, the man has not only learned to endure risk, but to face hardships. Very few outside of those who have known intimately what railroading means appreciate what a ride, especially a night ride, in the wintertime is on one of our trains handling the brakes, doing all the work along the train. The men have to face risks and hardship. More than that, they have to face irregular hours. Anyone who has ever done any soldiering knows that one of the difficulties to be overcome by the average man 
is to make him understand that he is not to sleep every night, but just when the chance comes. The railroad man knows that already. Finally, and most important of all, the railroad man has learned two things. He has learned how to act on his own responsibility in time of emergency, how to take the lead himself if the need arises, and also how to obey orders and obey them quickly. There is not any time for wondering whether or not he will do anything at all. It's to be done, and done quickly. These were the reasons which General Sherman enumerated in talking to me of his preference for railroad men for army life. The qualities thus developed are of as good service in the field of citizenship in ordinary civil life as in military life. In this country, we need above all things to show our power to act on one's own individual responsibility, each to care for himself, to be able to handle his own life, and yet all of us to act in cooperation with our fellows, to be able to preserve our independence, our self-respect, and one of the means of preventing it is to show that power of living our lives in orderly liberty under the law. I wish to say a word of special acknowledgement of the presence of the men on horseback from the reservation. I was glad to see them. And Major Cadwell, I was glad to learn that many of the Indians under your care are traveling along the white man's road, and beginning not only to send their children to school, but to own cattle and to own property. The only outcome of the Indian question in this country is gradually to develop the Indian into a property-owning, law-abiding, hard-working, educated citizen. In other words, to train him to travel the path that we are all trying to travel. And I congratulate you upon the progress that you have made. When he is traveling that path and when he is doing his duty, he is entitled to and he shall receive exactly as square a deal as anyone else. After all, that is the fundamental principle of our government. In the last analysis, what America stands for more than for aught else is for treating each man on his worth as a man. If he acts well in whatever walk of life, whatever his ancestry, his creed, his color, give him a fair chance. If he acts badly, let nothing protect him from the hand of the law. I congratulate you, the men and women of Idaho, upon what you have done for your state. Let me congratulate you especially upon, upon the fact that in addition to the business, energy, the thrift, the enterprise that you have shown in material development, you have taken such pains in the bringing up of the next generation. I congratulate you upon your schools and upon your education, both elementary and higher, the most important things in life and which we are sometimes tempted to regard as the humdrum and commonplace things. The whole fabric of society rests upon the home. The best citizen is the man who is a good husband, a good father, the woman who is a good wife, a good mother. Of course, that is so elementary a fact, like other elementary facts, we occasionally forget its existence, that the highest type of citizenship is to be found in the home, and nothing can take the place of the education of the home. The fathers and the mothers who educate their children not merely by precept but by practice. For in the intimacy of the home it does little good to preach if that preaching is not backed up by performance. 
It is of no use telling the children to tell the truth if they see their elders not telling the truth. No use trying to teach the child to be unselfish if the father or mother is selfish. There is no use in trying to teach the small folks not to shirk their duty if the bigger ones shirk theirs. Nothing can excuse shirking in the performance of duty toward the children by the father and the mother, but their work has to be supplemented from the outside, and a special and peculiar debt of gratitude is owing to the men and women who are engaged in teaching, who are engaged in educating the body, mind, and soul of the younger generation, and to all, Mr. Mayor, who take part in the work of the school committee in seeing that the educational requirements of any locality are fully and actually met. I am glad to have seen you. It has done me good to come here. I believe in the future of your great state because I believe with all my heart and soul in the quality of the average man and the average woman who go to make up this state and go to make up this entire nation. The rocks of Theodore Roosevelt at Pocatello and now on to Shoshone. My fellow citizens, my fellow Americans, it is a great pleasure to greet you this morning, to greet all of you, especially the children, traveling through this country as I have traveled, from the Atlantic across to the Pacific, and now on my return. The thing that has struck me most after all is not the diversity, but the essential unity of our people. Wherever I have gone, from one end of the country to the other, I have dealt with Americans to whom I could appeal in the name of the same principles. And you, the men of the Great War, the men whom I have met wherever I have stopped on the plains, among the mountains, on the Pacific Slope, you builded even better than you knew when you saved the country. For not only did you make it possible for an American president to feel at home throughout the Continental Republic, but you left us by your deeds the memory and the lessons of how we were to handle this government. You fought for real brotherhood, for the real rights of mankind. You fought to establish here the rule of liberty under law, by and through the law. You established once for all that the worst enemy of this country is the man who tries to excite section against section, creed against creed, class against class. This government is not and never shall be a government either of a plutocracy or of a mob. It shall be a government, as it has been and is, in which all citizens, rich or poor, wherever they live, however they worship their maker, mechanics, farmers, miners, ranchmen, bankers, lawyers, it makes no difference what. If they are decent men, they shall have their say in the government and a guaranteed protection by it. The line that in the elemental matters we must ever draw is the line of conduct. The man who behaves well, whatever he does or wherever he lives, is a good citizen, entitled to the respect of all other good citizens. And if he does not behave well, at whichever end of the social scale he stands, he is a bad citizen. The bully pulpit apparently uh, traveled along on the train at Glens Ferry, Idaho. My fellow citizens, let me thank you most cordially for your greeting. 
I am glad to see all of you, but I do not know but what I am most pleased to see the children. It has been a great pleasure to come into Idaho. I know your state of old, although I have never been out to Boise, but in the old days I was out in the mountains in the eastern part of your state. One thing that has particularly pleased me in making this trip from the Atlantic to the Pacific, right across the continent, has been the fact of the fundamental unity of our people. A good American is a good American in whatever part of the country you find him. That is the important lesson to learn. I have been here in the West for six weeks, and I think I was a pretty good American when I came, but I am going away a better American. I have been struck coming through this state with its mines and timber in the north, and here the grazing country with the wonderful results achieved wherever water has been put upon the soil. I do not believe that there is in any state in this country which will benefit more through the workings of the Irrigation Act than this state of Idaho. And nothing has pleased me more than to have had my part in getting the national government to aid in this work. Much can be done by the aid of the government, by the aid of the state. But after all, the fundamental thing in bringing success to any community is the quality of the average man, the average woman in that community. I believe in your future. I believe in the future of the nation of which you and I are a part, because I believe that we have just that average quality of citizenship in our men and women. No law that the wit of man has either devised can make or ever will make a fool wise, or a coward brave, or a weakling strong. All that the law can do is to try to secure a fair deal, to try to give each man a chance to show the stuff that is in him. And if the stuff is not in him, you cannot get it out of him because it is not there. It is a good thing to have a sound body. It is a better thing to have a sound mind. Best of all is to have what counts for more than body and more than mind, character, into which a good many different elements enter, but these especially. In the first place, the element of honesty, of decency, using it in its widest bearing, the element that makes a man a good husband, a good father, a good neighbor, a good man to work alongside of or to deal with. And then, in addition to that, we need courage, hardihood, the qualities that every railroad man, every man on the engine or firing has got to show, the qualities that we speak of when we say of a man that he is not only a good man, but a man. And finally, in addition to courage and honesty, we need the saving grace of common sense. For without that, a man will make but scant headway in the world. I am very glad to have had the chance of seeing you. On to Mountain Home, Idaho. It ha my friends and fellow citizens, it has been a great pleasure to have been traveling in Idaho today. And now, after having traversed a good deal of sagebrush, to come here to see what can be done by a proper mixture of intelligence, industry, and water, and substituting for the sagebrush green crops. I doubt if there is any state which will profit more by the increase in the application of irrigation to our needs than is the case with the state of Idaho. Most of our people, especially our people in the East, 
have no fair idea how much can be done in the development of these states here under that irrigation system. I do not believe that Congress has for many years passed any law relating to our internal development so wise as the irrigation law of a year ago. Today, passing by, I noted far to the north the spot where one of the first experiments under that act is to be tried. I wish to say that our object in our whole irrigation policy should be to build up homemakers, to build up the people who take each the land that he himself can attend to and till, and who intend to rear their children on the soil. Our object should be sedulously to provide against letting great tracts of land go into the hands of any one man or of any one corporation. On the contrary, we should endeavor to save the land for its actual occupiers, for the men who will actually build up homes upon it, homes in which I shall hope to see plenty of healthy children. I congratulate you upon the output from the mines, next the ranches, but most of all, the children. I am glad that they seem to be all right in quality and all right in quantity. It has particularly pleased me in coming through this state to see the excellent schools you have built and the care with which you are training the next generation. I believe in you and I want to see the future people like you. And at Boise, Idaho. The forests and the grasses are not to be treated as we properly treat mining. That is, as material to be used up and nothing left behind. On the contrary, we must recognize the fact that we have passed the stage when we can afford to tolerate the man whose object is simply to skin the land and get out. That man is not a valuable citizen. We do not want the absentee proprietor. It is not for him that we wish to develop irrigation. It is not for him that we must shape the grazing lands or handle our forests. We must handle the water, the woods, and the grasses so that we will hand them on to our children and our children's children in better and not worse shape than we got them. I was particularly pleased to be greeted by 2,000 school children. You know I believe in children. And while there are, uh, while there may be a good many varieties of first-class citizens in the state, I have always thought that, take it on average, the citizen I must respect is the mother of a large family who brought them up well. And so I am glad that your children seem to be all right in point of quality and in quantity. And in traveling through this great country, nothing has pleased me more than to see how, hand in hand with the upbuilding of its material prosperity, has gone on the preparation for carefully training the next generation. I have been greatly struck as I have come up this beautiful and fertile valley by what has been done by the application of industry intelligence and water to the soil. And inasmuch as for a number of years, I myself passed a large, large proportion of my life in the mountains and on the plains of this great Western country, I feel a peculiar pride that it was given to me to sign and thereby make into law the act of the national government. To my mind, one of the most important acts made into law by the national legislature, the National Irrigation Act of a year ago. 
Already experimental work has begun here in your own state. The national government, in my judgment, not only should but must cooperate with the state governments and with individual enterprises in seeing that we utilize to the fullest advantage the waters of the Rocky Mountain states by canals and great reservoirs which shall conserve the waters that go to waste at one season so they can be used at another season. I believe with all my heart in the Monroe Doctrine. This Western Hemisphere is not to become a region for conquest over which foreign military powers may acquire control. I think that should be a cardinal doctrine of our American foreign policy. But I had a great deal rather never see us announce that policy than for us to announce it and then lack either the will or the power to make it good. The one means for making it good is the building up of an adequate navy of first-class battleships such as those provided for by the last Congress, one of which is to be called the Idaho. And having provided the ships, provide the men, and then recollect that men and ships are worthless if they have not had a chance to practice. I ask that Congress go on with the building up of the navy, and that it provide the means to make that navy the most effective on the globe. I earnestly hope that in our time we shall not see war again, but it is impossible to say that there will be that there will not be any war, because it is not only necessary that we should want to act rightly toward other nations, and I think I can say that we do, but it is necessary that they should, all of them, want to act rightly toward us. And while I believe that they do, I think it will help them to persevere in their good intentions if we are well armed. I ask for the Navy to be used not as provocative of war, but to be used to keep the peace. I ask for the Navy as a guarantee and insurance against war, and as a guarantee that if war does come, it shall end gloriously, as all the wars undertaken in the past century and a quarter by this Republic have ended. Concluding our remarks, buzzing through Idaho, May 28th, 1903, remarks at beautiful Nampa, Idaho. My friends and fellow citizens, it is a very great pleasure to have the chance of greeting you today. Let me say a word of special greeting to the members of the National Guard. For the first time in our history, Congress has enacted a measure to provide for an adequately armed National Guard in each of the states and Idaho is the first state to be taking advantage of the terms of this act. I congratulate Idaho upon this typical instance of progress. I wish to say what pleasure it has given me to come here and be witnessing with my own eyes what you are doing in this state with irrigation. Idaho will, I firmly believe, and I base it not merely upon my own observation, but upon what I am told by men of judgment dealing within the state, grow with peculiar rapidity and with a peculiar stability of growth during the years now immediately opening. While a great part of the growth will surely be due to the development of her unexplored mineral resources, I think the most permanent and the most useful part of the growth will be the development of her irrigated agriculture. I do not have to tell you here that when you get irrigation fairly applied, rain is a poor substitute for it. With irrigation, the wonderful fertility of your soil will be given full play, and we shall see a development of fruit and grain products in this state which would have seemed literally incredible even as late as 25 years ago. 
I have passed through some of the great grazing regions of the state, the regions where cattle and sheep flourish. I congratulate you upon the chances of diversifying your industries, as in the development of all your other industries, so far as the federal and state laws affect them. The one great object ever kept in mind will be the building up of the homemaker, the building up of the man who takes a given quantity of land, a large quantity if it is unirrigated, a much smaller quantity if it is irrigable, and out of that makes a home upon which he intends himself to live, and living to bring up his children. The citizen who counts in the development of the state is the man or woman who makes this his or her home, for it is upon the quality of the average woman that the future of the state really depends. What a wonderful set of messages uh, we are glad to call Medora home. We bounced about the, uh, about the country a bit, and, and I'm delighted to see friends from Illinois, Sewanee, Tennessee, Colorado Springs, Solana Beach, California. It's a great, big, beautiful country, and we are glad that our part of it is Medora, North Dakota. Come visit us sometime this summer. Go to Medora.com. Bill Sorensen and I will be trading shows nightly at the Old Town Hall Theater upon the Bill Sorensen stage. Those shows begin with Bill's show uh, May 30th. Uh, I'll be on stage May 31st. Those 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time shows are preceded by the Pitchfork Steak Fondue, at least our best uh, ability to represent it. We'll be back up at the Burning Hills Amphitheater when the musical opens June 19th, and uh, we'll be doing the Pitchfork Steak Fondue in its usual beautiful setting over the Badlands. But join us downtown, and then in the month of June, Bill Sorensen, the comedian magician, is odd and I am even. That is, Bill will perform June 1st, 3rd, 5th, 7th, etc. And I'll be on stage doing my interpretation of Theodore Roosevelt in the Teddy Roosevelt Show, June 2nd, 4th, 6th, etc. I hope you have a wonderful day. Join us tomorrow on Teddy Talks. It will be Friday and we'll follow the president uh, continuing to make uh, amazing uh, travel through the West. Remarks at the Mormon Tabernacle at Salt Lake City and in Ogden, Utah. Concluding Saturday, remarks of Governor Theodore Roosevelt at Grant's tomb in the Metropolitan Opera House. Uh, I'm seeing that uh, apparently many of you are watching uh, a series on Grant on the History Channel. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you here tomorrow. Goodbye and good luck.